Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 41. This week, we talked to David Ebo about websites, Kudu, web jobs, and what makes them tick, coding an elevator with JavaScript, and live coding a JavaScript game from scratch on stage. Hey, Carl, how's it going? Pretty good. How about you, Jason? It's going good. We have a cool guest today. We have David Ebo. He's a engineering lead on the Azure websites team at Microsoft. How's it going, David? I'm doing great. Happy to be on the show. Yeah, we're happy to have you here. So let's jump into the news. So this first one is called Elevator Saga, and there was a lot of people playing this one. Have you you, you said you played this one, right, Carl? Yeah. And uh, for anybody who hasn't heard of this yet, it's you know it's a game uh, in in your web browser that you play by uh, manipulating JavaScript, mm-hmm. and uh, you essentially have to figure out how to you know they give you what a challenge is. You have to like. In, the first level is transport 15 people in 60 seconds or less. And you see there's two uh, floors on there and there's, there's some JavaScript there started, but there's not enough to actually complete the challenge. So you have to figure out what you need to do to finish it. Yeah. I, it seems like, it seems like I'm not alone in, in thinking this whenever, you know, there's, there's so many things in the real world. I always try to figure out how they work like GPSs, And one of the other ones, like the kind of my canonical example is, is an elevator. You know, I always think about, Whenever I'm in an elevator, how that algorithm works and how it could be improved and then, you know, different types of elevators and how they try to improve upon that. But this is cool because you get to basically program your own elevator and then it shows it visually going between there. And uh, it's this is really cool. I haven't played this a lot yet, but this is this is really fun. You mean you have to write the JavaScript sort of on the fly as the thing is moving or you got to do it ahead of no, time? So so what you do is is basically it shows an elevator and it shows, you know, a number of floors and what you do is um, whenever the there's a couple of different events that you can handle, but by default, you can handle the idle event. So whenever the elevator becomes idle, you can write the logic as to what it does. So by default, they, they tell it just to go to, you know, go to this floor. Um, so you could just hard code it if you knew like the order that the people were coming in. But what what you're supposed to do is is go in there and um, and, and come up with us, you know, an, an efficient algorithm. You know, does it just always go up to the top and then come back down or does it, you know, somehow like go up and down based on button pushes? And you can get all those different events whenever people are pushing buttons and whether or not they want to go up or down. And you basically can optimize it as much as you want. Like Carl said, you have to go through the levels and the challenges keep getting progressively harder. So it's just kind of a neat, uh, geeky JavaScript uh, programming challenge. And you have to beat up some big boss at the top or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure how many levels there are. I've heard of people going to like level 14 or something. Um, I suppose I should uh, I should go through and do that. That way I can, you know, say that I know JavaScript. Uh, this next one, speaking of JavaScript. Yeah, we only have JavaScript stories this week. Uh, Mary Rose Cook live codes a JavaScript game from scratch. This was really cool. This was a, let's see, 32 minute video. And she just started from scratch and basically built a game. It was, um, uh, what is this game called? It's, uh, man, I can't even remember the name of the game. Remember what the name of the game is, Carl? I don't know. Was it Asteroids? I, I only looked. No, it's not, it's, yeah, it's, not, it's not Asteroids. It's the one, Space Invaders is the That's one. It. <laughs> it's where, you know, the, the, the Space Invaders are coming down and you can go back and forth and, and shoot them. And, and, you know, it wasn't fancy. She didn't have any kind of sprites or anything. It was just blocks for the enemies and blocks for your ship. And you were just shooting out little dots. But it included things like collision detection and, you know, it, taking input from the keyboard and actually doing smooth movements across the screen. And uh, it was pretty neat. I mean, to, uh, you know, you know, as well as I do, how difficult it can be to code on stage. 
and she finished the entire game. Uh, you know, and this wasn't like pulling in snippets. This was like right typing out every letter of the program, um, you know, as she was explaining it. So this was this was pretty hardcore. Yeah. And and just to, you know, you make the comment, too, this wasn't anything that you're going to like show to your buddies and have them be super impressed. But just mm-hmm. that live coding on stage is is impressive thing because it's difficult to do in the way that she did it. Yeah. And and it was an impressive game just for what it is. Yeah. I mean, if you gave me a half hour to program that game, like I couldn't do it in a half hour. With um, no one watching. Right, with no one watching. <laughs> um, and even if I had a lot of practice doing that game, that would still be really, really tough doing that on stage. So major props to her. She deserves some kind of a trophy or award for that one. That's, that's some kind of achievement unlocked. Yeah, sounds pretty impressive to me. Yeah. So I recommend checking that out. I just jumped around in the video. I didn't watch like every line of code, but it was, it was just amazing. I, that would have been a, a really cool one to see in person. Then our last story here, this was yours, Carl. Why no one at your user group wants to be your friend. What is this about? Yeah, um, this person wrote this blog post kind of aimed towards somebody who's like new or not in like a user group or some sort of community. And he brings up, you know, the advice that people who are already there that, you know, are more well known within the user group or community, you know, they have friends there already, friends that when they go out for the night, they want to see, they want to talk to, or they have some sort of business or agenda that they're already thinking about. If you're going there for the first or second time, you're, you're just not going to send out, you know, send any triggers to that person to come want to come out and, and, and talk to you unless they're known for that. Mm-hmm. And the, his advice was, you know, if you're new, just keep going, keep showing up by proving that you're willing to put, you know, time into the user group, you know, with regular attendance, it'll make it easier after uh, a few appearances to get some of those people to notice you and, you know, want to invest more time in, with you because they'll see that you keep showing up. Right. But yeah, you, you know, and I, Carl, have, have met a few people through that. Right. Yeah. So we've we've seen the same people over and over again and then started talking to them. And, you know, I can definitely see why, you know, the guy made these these comments. Um, I know, when, you know, sometimes, you know, I can fall into that same trap. Like, you know, I go to user group, you know, more, uh, you know, if not for the topic to meet a few people. But when, when I'm out speaking, I do make that point to go out and reach towards everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just kind of put that you know, nugget in the back of my head, you know, when I'm out, you know, I should try out to reach out, make the, you know, the newer people feel more welcome as well. So that's my little challenge, you know, after reading this too, it's, you know, we don't have to be always, you know, of course we want to see our friends, but you know, if we're, you know, have any kind of leadership within that group or seniority, you know, we should try to make the younger ones or newer people feel uh, a little bit more welcome as well. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So let's get to our guest. So we got a lot of different topics to cover and and I want to kind of untangle the web of how they're, they're all connected. Um, so I guess the way that I want to start out, so we at the MS dev show, our website itself is hosted as an Azure website and we do the deployment with the, uh, the Kudu deployment engine, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. So ours is a, um, uh, it's a markdown based site. And it's all statically generated and we count on on Azure actually building that site, you know, all the HTML and deploying it. I see. So, you know, we're so we're huge fans of both Azure websites, Kudu. I've even used uh, web jobs and we're going to talk about that as well. Um, so really cool technology. But I think we need to kind of go back to the basics because I think a lot of people don't understand just the the full power of just even 
website basics and what you can do in Azure. So I guess let's start with, you know, what what can we do with an just an Azure website by itself? So maybe a good way to start is to uh, uh, relate Azure websites to the alternate technologies that are available uh, in sure. Azure. So in terms of compute, like if you go in the Azure portal and you say new compute something, you'll get a mm -hmm. few options. Uh, one of them is VM, which speaks for itself. Um, the other one is a cloud service, which is the, the PaaS offering that the Azure has had uh, since the early days. And the third one is websites. So websites, you can view it as probably the, the lightest weight uh, of the three, the one that makes it, makes it easiest to uh, deploy some bits, run. Uh, it's probably the most similar to what you would view as a traditional hoster, like GoDaddy and such, where you have you upload some files in, in, in a very regular way. Well, we have a, a few alternate ways of uploading files, which we'll go into. Uh, but it, it's it's a, a very straightforward uh, deployment model, also very fast. Yeah, I always tell people when in doubt, start with websites. And, you know, because I think most, I shouldn't say most applications, but a, a good deal of applications work great in websites. And if they sort of outgrow that and they need to, to start getting into like the operating system level or they need to start getting a little bit more complicated, then they can they sort of outgrow that and maybe go into to PaaS or or IaaS. But websites are super powerful and they keep getting more and more powerful. So that's that's always where I steer people first, um, you know, initially. Right. That, that sounds about right. I mean, it, it should be the go to place for a, a new site. And until you hit some kind of limitation, uh, really, yeah. we and are you hoping. might never hit that limitation. Exactly. Plus, we keep sort of moving the boundaries of what you can do, like what you can mm -hmm. do today with a website is quite a bit more than what you could do two years ago. Of course, there will always be things, well, never say always, but if you're like trying to install a kernel level driver or some really low level stuff, yeah, we don't let you do that. You have to go mm -hmm. to uh, a different offering for that. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, let, let's just say, you know, I, I get my initial, you know, content up in, in Azure website. So what happens when I when I update that? What what process happens behind the scenes when my website gets republished? Well, that depends what publishing technique you're using, uh, and we can go over the, the various alternatives that are available. Uh, sure. Yeah. Let's let's talk about how you know how you actually get stuff in there. Right. Although they all share one thing in common, which is pretty mm -hmm. much that you have files that exist elsewhere, and then you end up copying those files by some means into the dub 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 root folder of your uh, websites but in terms of specific techniques you can go with ftp which is you know everyone knows ftp it's been around forever uh it's probably not the recommended way of deploying now but there's still a lot of people that rely on, on ftp uh the second technique is web deploy which is also known as ms deploy that means exactly the same thing uh that's what you would use if you are using visual studio uh, and you say deploy to Azure, that would be using web deploy. And the third technique is uh, the one that is, let's call it Kudu based. Uh, and that includes actually a few different subcategories. Uh, one of them is Git based deployment, where you can have uh, a Git repository on your local machine and push it to a Git server that we make available for you. Uh, a variant of that is having your Git repository on GitHub and setting up continuous deployment into your Azure website. So what that means is you're not pushing to Azure, you're pushing to GitHub, but there is a hook on there that makes it deploy uh, to Azure. 
uh, and along the same line, we support Bitbucket, which has both uh, Git and uh, uh, Mercurial. And uh, to complete the story, yet another deployment technique we support is via a Dropbox uh, folder, where you pretty much put files in, in some Dropbox folder, ask to sync, and the mm -hmm. files end up uh, on Azure. Can you uh, define what webhooks are? You've, you've mentioned that, but I think it's, you know, you know what are they and kind of how do they work? Um, of course, the, the term webhook uh, itself is, is pretty uh, general, but in, in the sense that I just used it, I was referring to a, a GitHub hook. So that is something, there, there's a different kind of hooks you can do on GitHub. One of them is a post-deploy hook, which means that whenever you do a git push to uh, GitHub, GitHub will fire the hook. So what the hook means, uh, in the case of Azure, uh, we give to GitHub uh, a URL and basically tell it when someone pushes to this repo, uh, make a request to the URL that we gave you. And that URL happens to be uh, Kudu, which is our engine, which is at this point told that there is something new on GitHub. And Kudu turns around and does a git pull from Azure. And then it goes from there. Okay. Um, one thing I wanted to ask too, before we get too far into this is how the, the site slots work now. And I, I think that was a, a fairly recent feature where you'd have uh, a staging and production because you, you could always uh, use the old mechanism, or I should say the, there was always this, there, there has always been this mechanism where, like you said, you, you update your code in GitHub, for example, and then it republishes and it sort of does, um, you know, your site just gets uh, updated, but now you have this concept of staging and production. So how does how does that work? So um, if you use the mechanism uh, where you don't use slots and you deploy, say, via GitHub continuous deployment, that works well. But there's a, a couple big uh, drawbacks. Uh, the first one is that whatever your change you're making is going to go live in production right away, meaning mm -hmm. you don't get any chance to test it which sometimes is fine if you have all the right infrastructure to make sure the code is good, but some people like to actually hit their site before it goes into production. And the second issue is because there is some recompilation, I mean, essentially, it will require your app to restart. If it's ASP.NET, anytime you change any of the files in the bin folder, the app domain is restarted, and that causes some downtime or at least some slowdown. There's a, a few requests that instead of taking, you know, a fraction of a second might take a few seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, people don't want that in their production. So this brings us to the concept of site slots, which is that uh, you have your main site, let's call it production. You can create a second sibling site, uh, let's call it staging. You can actually have uh, as many as you want and, and call them whatever you want, but to keep it simple, so in this case, you can still do the GitHub uh, continuous deployment, except you, you set it up to deploy to the staging site. So you can push to GitHub left and right, and it will deploy to your staging site uh, where you are able to test it. So And finally, when you feel that you have good bits, you say swap, and you swap it into production. And at this point, the swap is being performed in a way that there is absolutely zero downtime because everything gets warmed up before it goes to production. So that solves the, the two issues that I uh, raised earlier. Okay, yeah, you actually answered a question that uh, that I had always wondered about. I always wondered about, you know, whenever it does that actual redeploy, whenever you're not using the staging and production environment. So it, it's literally, it's still like on the same machine, but you said it, it, it 
in that case, it replaces the file. So you will have a couple seconds of downtime potentially. Right. It's really okay. no different from being on your local machine. And if you have IIS yep. and you have some files there and you do something as simple as touching your web.config file, this will cause an abdomen uh, restart. Okay. And if you, yeah, I always wondered because it seems really tough sometimes to hit that because I've I've had small sites where I sit there and I keep hitting refresh and I never I actually never see the time when when it does the swap. It uh, just all of a sudden I get the new version, so it's pretty quick. Right, right. Well, it, it depends on the nature of the sites. You know, some right. sites will restart pretty quickly, but if you have things like a lot of uh, ASPX files or CSHTML files that need to be compiled on the fly. You know, there's definitely a hit on the first request. If you have a static site, then yeah, you won't get much of a hit at all. Okay. So let's say I want to I want to do the deployment from a local Git repository. How do I actually go about doing that? Well, you first would have to go to the Azure portal and and set mm -hmm. that up. Simply say yes, I would like to use local Git based uh, deployment. At which point you will be given uh, a Git URL, which you can set up as a remote on your local Git repo. So you probably already have a remote going to wherever you're storing your code, you know, GitHub, Bitbucket, wherever, and then you'll add a new remote, which you'll typically call Azure. Uh, and once you have that, when you're ready to push to Azure, you will say, you know, Git push Azure my branch, you know, master or whatever you choose for your branch. Mm -hmm. So that is not a continuous deployment uh, scenario. It is a, a manual deployment that is Git-based. Right. The obvious advantage being there that you you have a little bit more control over when it gets published. And the the other thing I noticed is that it as the publishing process is happening, uh, you're actually getting back the the log messages. So you can kind of see in real time what's happening, which is pretty neat. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So I, I actually I have a couple different sites and I, I do it. Um, you know, this, it's two different scenarios. So I on some I actually do the manual publish and some are just automatically published. Right. Now, a few times already, we've mentioned Project Kudu. Can you tell us uh, a little bit more explicitly what that is? Yeah, great question. So Project Kudu is, a, is an open source project, which is a part of the Azure Websites offering. So Azure Website, for the most part, a lot of the code is not open source. But Kudu, you can view it as sort of the little island of open source within Azure Websites. So the, the reason it's being done as open source while the rest is not is well, some of it is a little bit historical because we, you know, just because we could, we find, we found that little <laughs> area that would make a great open source project. So we decided from the very beginning, which is now, I think, over three years ago to, to develop Kudu uh, as open source. And it has actually worked uh, very well. You know, we have got uh, a few contributions from people. Um, and even when we don't get contribution, people like to be able to look at the sources and to see what's going on uh, and all that. Yeah, this seems this seems like it, it's like one of the the best kept secrets of websites. I think is is Kudu. So what does uh, what does a Kudu script look like? Because I know there's like a there's like a dot deployment file, and then you can also add some some kind of custom scripting in there. What so what does that look like, and what is that for? So uh, if you set up regular Git deployment or GitHub uh, into Kudu, by default, you don't need to have your own deployment script. We generate one right. for you on the fly. So the way the default script looks like, uh, first of all, there is some logic that tries to detect what kind of site you're running. So if it's .NET versus Node versus PHP, there is different logic that's needed to do the, the correct steps for deployment. Uh, the most complex case is .NET because it actually needs to call MS Build and produce some artifacts and deploy them. 
But uh, in any case, there is a, a default script that hopefully, for the most part, does the right thing. But if you're looking for custom behavior that goes beyond what the default script offers, there is a way to generate what we call a custom deployment script. So, And once you do that, this is where you start dealing with the files that you mentioned. There is this .deployment file, which basically tells it this is the command to run when the deployment happens. And deploy.cmd is the default batch file uh, that gets run. So once you move into this world of custom deployment script, you pretty much take over everything. Uh, you don't take over the, the Git operation, so the, the, the act of pulling the new uh, commits from the uh, remote repository, that still happens external to your script. But the full deployment, uh, I mean, in the end, you're trying to go from A to B, where A is your repository and B is your root folder. So mm -hmm. whatever is the sequence of step that will take the, the latest commit in your repo, and turn it into something that is ready to be deployed, that's what the custom deployment script is about. So if I take the example of .NET, that requires first uh, running a, a special msbl command, which produces some artifacts, which gets placed into some temporary folder. And then we have a tool which knows how to sync that content into uh, the www.root folder. Uh, in the case of Node, the custom deployment script is going to run npm or things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you brought up a good point earlier that um, if you have, you know, regular, uh, you know, ASP.NET website, or if you have a node, a typical Node.js application, um, you know, the, it just it just magically works, right? It, the Kudu engine just knows what to do and and you don't have to worry about all these things. And I think that's why a lot of people don't even know that that uh, Kudu exists. What, what was, did we talk about any of the other languages that are supported? So we talked about, you know, .NET, uh, Node.js, uh, is there anything else supported for websites? Yes, there's a PHP, uh, PHP. Python, and uh, Java. Okay, yeah. So we're we're not leaving out, um, you know, we're not we're not leaving anybody out of this. It's not like a .NET only party. Right, right, right. I mean, there's still other languages we don't support today, but that we right. are <laughs> talking about. For instance, uh, Go is one of them that we're saying. Well, mm -hmm. it would be nice to do Go, and maybe we will in the future. Okay. Cool. Now, yeah, Jason was telling me earlier about uh, this magical console that Kudu has and that not a lot of people know about. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. So um, first, stepping back a, a little bit, one thing that's interesting when you create an Azure website is that instead of just getting one site, you get two sites. So the first one is the regular site where your code runs. It's basically your website. And the second one, which has a, a very similar URL, except it's got just one extra token called SCM in there. Uh, is uh, you could call it the Kudu website or the admin website. So it's a mm -hmm. second website that, first of all, uh, is only accessible by uh, the owner of the site or co-admin or you know other users that have access. Uh, and it has full access to the same files as the site itself. So it's a great place to run uh, things like deployment. So when you are uh, doing... Uh, a, a deployment via Git, for instance, you're really making a call into the second site that uh, then uses its power to access the file system to perform the deployment. So now if we look at the, the Kudu console that you asked about, it's another feature that runs in this second site. And because it has full access to the file system, it's able to give you uh, a command prompt over the, the very files that make up your website 
uh, it actually has a kind of a dual UI where it, it has a, a file explorer uh, tree at the top and uh, a console at the bottom. So you can type, you can either type like CD folder at the bottom or you can navigate around by clicking uh, in yeah. the UI. And I want to stress the fact it's it's really cool because they they keep in sync, right? So if you do, you know, CD my folder, the the folder view at the top that you get, the sort of an explorer view, it changes at the same time. And so you can sort of switch back and forth on how you navigate. It's it's actually interesting because it's even more powerful than if you're doing it locally. You're, it's almost <laughs> easier to do things through that that console. It's really cool. Yeah, I don't know about more powerful because it does have limitations. <laughs> but yeah, the 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 thing yeah, yeah, works yeah. Uh, pretty well. Yes, it's it's just really cool. Everybody should should check that out though. How how that actually functions. I mean, you you were getting a fully well, like you said, there's some limitations, but it is essentially a command prompt window in your browser and it works very well. Right. So under the cover, what happens is there, there's a true console, like a cmd.exe process yep. that is uh, kept running. It's a persistent process and commands are just being piped to it back and forth. So it's, it's, a, it's a true console in that sense. Um, as an alternative to CMD, you can also run PowerShell. It works just the same way, except, you know, mm-hmm. different uh, console interpreter. Yeah, very cool. Uh, can I run, you mentioned that Kudu is open source. Can I run that outside of Azure? Great question. So uh, the answer is yes, you can. And in fact, the way mm-hmm. we develop Kudu is on our local machine. Uh, if you run Kudu outside of, uh, of Azure, uh, you end up getting uh, an alternate UI for things like site creations, deletion, kind of site management operation. But once the site is running and you set up uh, deployment to a site, you are working with, with Kudu, which is really the exact same bits that we run uh, in Azure. And in mm-hmm. fact, we... That, that's really cool. Right. We, we end up creating... When you create one site, uh, we end up creating two sites to mimic uh, what I said earlier about having two sites in Azure. So you have your real site that runs your your uh, your own site, and you have the second site where Kudu runs. And I know there's a number of people in the community that are, that are using it uh, that way. Uh, for larger repositories, Kudu can take like a, you know, a bunch of time to rebuild the site, like we mentioned earlier, which can kind of puts you in a higher beer, uh, tier of billing. Is there any way to get around that, you know, to keep yourself, you know, make your bill a little bit more manageable? Yeah, we run into that with, uh, well, yeah, the MS Dev Show, I think is probably a good example of that. And my blog, do you, it's, do you, are you running, yours is static too, right, Carl? No, mine's not. Oh, you don't have one that's static? Yeah, so we run into this issue where it requires a whole bunch, you know, our, our deployment script requires a whole bunch of processing power. Right. And it kind of puts us up in, you know, it, it takes us out of kind of the shared tier. I see. So, yeah, I mean, the answer is uh, first looking at all the, the tiers that we have available in Azure website. There's the free tier, the shared tier, uh, uh, and both of those are running your site on a shared box along with mm-hmm. many other sites. And then you get into the dedicated tiers, uh, which we call uh, basic and standard. So when you're running on a shared tier, you have quotas on resources like CPU and memory and things like mm-hmm. that. The minute you moved into a dedicated tier, because you have your own VM, uh, there are no quotas beyond what the underlying VM uh, is able to do. So, uh, And within that, of course, you choose the size of your VM from small, medium, or large. Uh, but uh, you, you know, we don't limit how much CPU you can use. So to answer your question, if you have a site that uh, needs so much CPU, that uh, if the deployment script needs so much resource that you're kind of 
not able to do it as shared, then it's mm-hmm. probably it means it's probably time to move to uh, the basic offering. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's what we ended up doing. Um, and actually, so I wanted to I wanted to ask about that because we didn't really talk about that. And shared, I think, is like eight or nine bucks a month, right? Uh, you know it's what? it's can, not I bad. Think of it. I think it's a yeah, lot. yeah. Yes. It's it's fairly inexpensive, and I actually heard that the shared offering has a high availability. Is that true? Uh, yes, it does. It does. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is really cool. I mean, if you have if you are using some some random random hosting provider right now, and I've had a lot of people ask me that, like, you know, does Azure does it move make sense for me to move this site to Azure? I'll say, yeah, I mean, it's going to cost you eight or nine bucks a month and you're actually going to get high availability at that tier, which is which is pretty cool. And then as as the site gets more popular, you can bump it up and shared, I believe, lets you do uh, that lets you do custom domains. That's correct. The Yeah. The limitation on the free is that you can't do custom domains. So it has to be, you know, like my site dot Azure websites dot net. Um, and lower but, you know, as well. Yeah, exactly. But I've actually seen people use that as well. I mean, there's people that, that just use a free site out in production and, you know, they just want to throw something up real quick and put some information out there. And that's actually a pretty darn good way to do that. Absolutely. I mean, that's why we have it. It's to try out the product. And if you have a simple site, it just might be good enough for your needs. Yeah. So for, I guess, for for websites in general and also the Kudu engine, are there any lesser known features that everybody, you know, most people haven't heard about, but uh, but they should know about? Um, once you actually navigate in your browser to the Kudu console, which is the, mm-hmm. you know, the same place that we discussed earlier that had the uh, the, the console in the browser, you'll find a few other features in that UI. Uh, probably the most interesting one is we have what we call a process explorer. And you can kind of view it as a poor man's version of a, of a proc exp or proc whatever it's called on uh, yeah. the sys internal tool. Yep. Uh, so you can do things like view all the processes that are currently running. You can see all the CPU counters related to them. Each process, you can see the threads, you can see all of the handles that are open. So for instance, if you find that you have a file that appears to be locked, you can't copy over it and you're not sure why, the Kudu console, uh, the process explorer might help you pinpoint, yeah, you have this process here that's holding a handle to that file. Uh, yet another thing that you can do from Kudu is download uh, debugging dumps. So either a, a regular dump that you can open in WinDBG or uh, what's called a GC dump, which is a, a more of a .NET thing that you can open in Visual Studio and that shows you uh, .NET objects in all kind of interesting uh, uh, ways. I didn't know about that, so that was a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another thing we wanted to talk about was web jobs. Can you uh, fill us in a little bit about what they are and how we can use them? Sure. So web jobs uh, are basically... Uh, they give you a way to run code that is not truly a website code. It's more, uh, you can view it as background tasks or things that need to run a little bit separately from your main website. Uh, there are two very different kinds of web jobs. The first kind is what we call a continuous web job. So continuous means that uh, it's going to be something like a, a console app that starts running and should never terminate. So typically, it's going to be written as an as a infinite while loop that uh, does something like looks for work on a queue. Uh, if it finds work, it performs the work, and then it goes back waiting for more work to appear. So that's a continuous job. Uh, the other kind of job is what we call a triggered job, meaning that it's a, a, a web job that when it's invoked, it performs a task 
once and then it ends. So, uh, and for the second kind of trigger job, there's two subcategories. Uh, one of them is simply a manual job, meaning that when you want to run that task, you are essentially going to go to the portal and press a run now button. And the other kind is, is basically the same, except you hook it up to a scheduler, uh, telling it, well, every hour you're going to hit this job. And, you know, wh- however you uh, set up your scheduler, it, you're going to get that behavior in your job. Very cool. Um, so let's talk about site extension. So it's it's my understanding that Kudu itself is is designed as a site extension and uh, users can write their own. So what how does that a site extension work? So uh, a site extension, uh, there's sort of a, a few definitions that vary a bit, but the, the, the most straightforward uh, definition is that it is itself a little website that runs in this second website, the protected website that has Kudu. So okay. And as you mentioned, Kudu itself is a site extension. So if you go to, uh, let's say your, your site is foo.azurewebsites.net, mm-hmm. uh, the URL for Kudu, the hostname is going to be foo.scm.azurewebsites.net. And if you go there, you are looking at Kudu. You will see the Kudu UI. Yep. Uh, site extensions uh, give you a way to add functionality to this SCM site. So for instance, you could have it so that foo.scm.azurewebsites.net slash extension is running uh, arbitrary code that you choose. So uh, in IS sense, they are all uh, in the same website, but they are different virtual applications. So, and to make it more interesting, we have a gallery of site extensions. So if you go to our UI, and there's UI either in Kudu itself to install site extensions, or if you go to the the new portal, the preview portal, there is UI uh, there as well. You will get a list of extensions available in the gallery. And with a few clicks, you can say, yeah, install this extension. So to give you an example of of the kind of extensions that are there, uh, there is one that lets you view the IS logs that get generated uh, with a nicer UI. Like normally all you get is like raw logs. You install this site extension and it's, under the cover going to read uh, those log files because, uh, again, it has access to all of the files that make up the site, and then it'll give you some nice UI over them. Very cool. Anything else uh, that you can tell us about uh, any features on the roadmap uh, for any of these products that you can share with us today? Um, I'm not sure if I can think of a huge <laughs> new one that, is, that can be discussed uh, here. Uh, well, we were looking at Go recently, so hopefully... At some yeah, point, if yeah, we will have a Go support, I hope we can make this happen. Uh, not sure. This probably that sounds like that sounds like a no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll keep it a mystery at this point. That's fine. Okay, Carl, what do you have for the app of the week? Uh, the app of the week this week is Dropbox, and uh, this came out uh, about a month ago and has had a nice steady stream of updates, including one this morning that uh, allows you to share uh, straight from your pictures hub to Dropbox. Um, so uh, that's pretty cool. I know a lot of people use Dropbox. I know that's our fallback in case anybody else doesn't have act, you know, doesn't have OneDrive or anything else. Mm-hmm. We share things via Dropbox, and uh, uh, for those who just who happened to care about this. It was written by Rudy Wen, a pretty uh, prominent Windows phone developer um, and uh, uh, Microsoft MVP. So he usually puts out really solid uh, oh, yeah. apps. And uh, 
Yeah, check it out. It's available for Windows Phone. We'll have the link to it in our show notes. Yeah, that was actually such a good pick because theoretically you could modify a file for your your website in Dropbox and then have it automatically republish using Kudu and go into your Azure websites. Yep. So you're just tying it all yeah. right back together, aren't right you, Carl? Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I try sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay. So, David, we have this game that we play, and it's really easy. All you have to do is pick a number between one and four, and then I'm going to ask you a question. All right. Four. Four. Okay. Would you rather be covered in itchy scabs or have popcorn shells stuck in between every tooth? <laughs> I would have to go with the popcorn. Popcorn? <laughs> yeah, because you could. Uh, you could just, you know, you could like correct that situation. The other one isn't really like a correctable situation. <laughs> okay, Carl, pick a number between one and four. Uh, one. One. Okay. Would you rather put on a pair of shoes filled with duck droppings or put on a hat full of raw eggs? I'd rather have it on my feet than on my head where it can get everywhere, <laughs> including on eye holes, mouth. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't even say what kind of eggs either. You know, I don't know <laughs> if they're like ostrich eggs or, <laughs> or if they're duck eggs, you know, that would just fit with the theme. Cool. So, uh, David, uh, where can people find your work? Um, well, if they're looking specifically for, for Kudu, it's pretty mm-hmm. easy to find. It's a uh, GitHub slash project Kudu slash Kudu. Oh, okay. He's right. But I mean, if you yeah, just... and, and Carl, Carl has, uh, he's got like 10 different links in the show notes here. Okay. Uh, other than that, I'm on Twitter. You know, my alias is uh, my name, uh, David Abo. So I'm fairly easy to find if you search for my name. <laughs> perfect, perfect. And Carl, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at WPDevGuy.com or on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me at YTechie.com or on Twitter at Twitter.com slash YTechie. David, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about uh, many topics, websites, Kudu, site extensions, all that good stuff. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me on the show. It was fun. Be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com. 